afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port here on WBAY. Happy to be with you this afternoon. Teal, how's it going? Fabulously. It is a lovely day today, and since I'm board hopping for Jay after I finish up with you, I got to sleep in a little this morning. Well, you know, Jay and I were debating yesterday about the official start of summer, and he says it's Memorial Day, but really it's the summer summer solstice. But yeah, June. but that's not till June 21st. I know. And summer definitely starts before. The summer season, as we experience it here in North Dakota, I think begins on our first 80-degree day. I don't disagree. I just like I just like arguing with Jay Thomas. You know, I'm not surprised. I know. I like <laughs> to argue with everybody. All right. We got a, a busy show in a moment. Going to be joined by Betty Grandy. Uh, she's a former uh, state lawmaker, familiar name. But she's also uh, today a, a research fellow for the Heartland Institute. A lot of headlines flying around about, about what President Trump might do uh, with something called the Paris Accords, which is, of course, a, uh, a climate change, global warming, whatever you want to call it, international agreement. Uh, President Obama signed it. It was not ratified by Congress, uh, and Trump may rescind it. We'll talk with uh, Betty about what that means. Also, uh, coming up at 1.30, uh, Dan Hedrington, he is a project manager for Short Elliott Hendricks, which is the contractor in charge of site work for the Davis Refinery. Yesterday we were talking about this. We got a few calls. Uh, it's going to be near Theodore Roosevelt National Park, near Belfield, North Dakota, uh activists opposing it saying that uh it's it's going to be too close to the park it's going to you know impact the park we'll get uh, his uh his answers to those those uh, criticisms later in the show if you want to join 701-293-9000-888-970-9329 is the toll-free number also email me talk at wday.com now joining me betty grandy betty how's it going it's going great Tell us about the Paris Accords. I mean, and, and I, at this point, I should say, news broke that President Trump was going to pull out of it, but then I heard he might not. I don't think we're exactly 100% on what's going to happen, but I, I think he, he did promise at one point to pull out of this accord. If he did, what does that mean for North Dakota? What does that mean for our region? Well, a couple of things. Um, the, the Paris Agreement, um, as you said, uh, was signed by uh by Obama, but the thing is, it keeps being called a treaty, and it's being assumed on, on the global level that it's a treaty. Well, if it's a treaty, it needs to go to the Senate. That would be one right. of the things. It has that to be confirmed by two thirds vote of the Senate. Correct, correct. But you know, um, as you mentioned, Trump, uh, when he campaigned, he said he would get out of it. He also has stated he will not pay. Um, the up to trillions of dollars over the next uh, decade or so into the Green Trust Fund. And so that that in itself could uh, and will be very detrimental to the Paris Agreement anyway. But um, in, in North Dakota, you know, break it down into just a little level in that, okay, let's look at just our ag. And with that, just the cost of doing business. Um, think about what we use in our agricultural industry and how much uh, diesel, the various fuels, the various uh, gas, the various uh, things that are used, fertilizer, all based on the fossil fuel uh, industry and and how those two are related. That's just number one. Number two, in this uh, Paris Agreement type stuff, yes, we all talk about the CO2 levels, but let's not forget about the methane type issue that 
that these people that are putting this together are going to go go about and 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 want to cancel, and they've even came out with saying that you know we have to uh, put basically diapers on our catch bags on our cattle because they emit too much CO2 or methane, or, or, excuse methane. So you know we have to kind of wonder what what the thought process is on on some of these things and and how it really affects us. Overall, though, we need to look at it at, at the national level. You know, the, the big picture, um, North, the, the cost is, is so immense to the United States, um, one, in the funding, but two, in the assessments that are being told that we need to do, yet countries like China and India are not even required to start reductions or do anything with admissions until 2030. And so we're paying the third world countries to to not participate while we do all the work. 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com. So... And as it stands now, I mean, are, are, are we are we following this agreement? I mean, what it, it all seems a little nebulous and a little hard to follow. And, and obviously, because there's that question about is it a treaty? Is it not a treaty? The Senate never confirmed it. Is this something where I mean, if Trump does nothing, are we are we following this? Are we in it? Um, you know, if he does nothing, if he doesn't pay, um, then we're really kind of not in it. We're breaking the agreement. If we step out of it completely, well, then obviously we're not in the agreement. But here's the caveat to that. If we just say we're not going to do Paris, we are still in and still participants of the U.S. the U.N. framework convention on climate change, of which is a part, is, is the platform that Paris becomes a part of. Okay? So we're still a part of it, whether we come out of the Paris portion or not. So we really need to work on, it's a three, well, and two, with the Paris thing, it takes three years to withdraw. So we're in it till we're not in it, basically. One of those great government things. Yeah. But with that, you know, everything's built on the UNFCCC. And, and so so Paris comes out of that. What happens is the environmentalists will still turn around and say, we're going to use Paris till you're out of Paris, so the endangerment findings will have to stand. CO2 limits are going to have to stand. Just the same way as um, just last week, there was an article out of California about a farmer being sued over waters of the U.S. Well, I thought we withdrew from the waters of the U.S., that that's been canceled. Well... They're still implementing it, and they're still going to force it in certain areas until we're completely out of it, until we, you know. Otherwise, the EPA is going to be held hostage to this framework for those three years or more. I, I, I want to I ask you, because our congressman, Kevin Kramer from North Dakota, who I, I think is a very strong advocate for our energy interests, a very strong a- advocate for our agriculture interests, and and somebody who you know to to one level or another seems to have the ear of of President Trump was certainly an early uh, endorser of his campaign. He has said, "Let's stay in the Paris Agreement. Let's keep a seat at the table." But from what you're telling me, that doesn't sound like a good idea. What I mean, what's he getting at? Is that something we should we should try to stay in this thing? You know, I'm not sure why he feels that um, 
that we need to be at the table. Because when you look at um, what what is going on and how it is that we will be the ones to pay for it, and we will be the ones who have to follow all these objectives out of the agreement when no one else has to, why would we do it? It, may, it, it, it makes no sense economically at all to stay involved in it. There is, there is a, a, a counter a point that has been made saying that, well, if we, if we don't stay in it, then China is going to take over on making the money on renewable energies. Well, we also know that China has no intentions of doing renewables until 2030, until they've built up everything they need to build up. That was part of the agreement. That's what they're going to do. Well, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens, uh, and and certainly, you know, uh, President Trump, you know, like I, I guess reports indicating he's leaning towards pulling out, and I it sounds like he's going to say, well, that was a treaty. Although the president, President Obama, said it wasn't a treaty. I think Trump. What I'm hearing is that Trump's going to say it's a treaty. It wasn't ever ratified by the Senate, therefore it it doesn't apply. Um, but I guess I guess we'll see what happens. Betty, thanks so much for uh, bringing some clarity to this for us. No problem. Thank you very much. It's former state representative Betty Grandy, now a uh, research fellow for the Heartland Institute. More coming up straight ahead. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report here on 970 WDAY, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Until you know we're coming into the summer slow news cycle when um, Donald Trump misspelling something on Twitter dominates headlines. It, it and, amuses uh, me that it's dominating headlines on actual news stations because I right. saw it first on Twitter this morning where the whole thing started and i thought it was funny you know people were sort of making it's a, funny a i mean it is funny it. it was yeah, yeah it was it was a fun thing that was happening on twitter and i was like oh this is this is kind of fun you know donald trump he misspelled a, something he, it's he, kind of funny he whatever, had a, yeah you know. he posted a typo and people are having some fun with it it's certainly one of the least offensive things that could have happened in the last right. 24 hours but now it's like on cnn and fox News. Well, he was on, I, I, I literally saw a cnn article and I, the headline was something like Trump misspelling this word is everything you need to know about him, right? Like this, like hard hitting, like oh, this gives us insight into how evil this man. It's like the one headline I saw was Trump inadvertently creates new word, and I was like, no, he, like, he misspelled he, something, and now it's a meme. No, it's a typo. Even Trump, even Trump was kind of like having a little fun with it, right? He was like, ah, oh, you know, everybody try to guess what this means. Like he was just kind of laughing it off because, which is what you should do because it's a typo. Crying out loud. That and Kathy Griffin. Oh, my Lord. That picture is gross. I I don't even know. Like, if, if you're somebody like, like, like her and you're, you're out to, like, undermine the Trump administration, right, because you don't like him or whatever, why would you do that? I mean, why would you think that's effective? Why would you think that's good? People are going to look at that and be like, oh, you know what? That is... Uh, 
What a sane and rational rebuttal to Trump's leadership. Sign me up for that. I don't. I mean, you, I, did you see the picture, Natil? It's 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 crazy gross. I have actually actively avoided looking at the picture itself. Um, I I know what it is. Like I am very aware of what the the photograph is of, but it's gross. I just I have no desire to to go look at it and give it any more views than it already has because it's it's wrong. It's stupid. She shouldn't have done it. She shouldn't have even conceived of it. I don't know what what sane person can think to themselves, oh, I'm going to do a photo shoot with the se- with the severed head of my of the president of my country. I, I will also like I'm going to go out and confirm every stereotype that Trump supporters think about Hollywood liberals. Right. Because that's just, super just... helpful to our cause. Good. Good job. Good job. When Keith Olbermann, of all people, is tweeting out like, oh, boy, that's a little too far. Keith Olbermann. Right. I mean, he of the the you know, red-faced, spittle-flecked opprobrium is now like, oh, geez, that's a little too far. <laughs> when, when Keith Olbermann's saying pull back on the reins a little bit, you may have crossed a line. I was, I, I don't know, like it popped up. The one thing, I, I guess, because I guess initially it's like a video and there's like pictures or something, but I guess initially like TMZ was the first place that had it. And they were sort of like gleefully reporting it. And then like within 24 hours, TMZ is like now running articles about like, oh, but what about the children about it? Right. Because I guess Trump's kid, which which, by the way, is, is not funny. Trump's son, Barron, saw it on TV and thought something had actually happened to his father, um, which is pretty awful. Um, I mean, whatever you may think of Donald Trump, you know, that that shouldn't happen. Um but like I I don't know. There's so much hypocrisy because it's all. I mean, it's everything. It's just about clicks, right? I mean, she does it, and the original videos and stuff's gonna get clicks, and then the outrage is gonna get clicks, and it's all just a big cycle to drive it all. And it was a it was a dumb thing. I actually thought um, on MSNBC. I guess morning they said they they just weren't even gonna talk about it. Although they did talk about the the tweet misspelling and really something needs to happen so we all have something else to talk about. Hopefully something not awful or terrible. Hopefully something good. But I hate this stuff. All right, coming up next, we're gonna talk a little bit. You know, yesterday we got a lot of calls on the Davis Refinery being built out. Uh, near Belfield, North Dakota. We're going to talk with the project manager about it. I know some of you had questions. Call in 701-293-9000, We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report 970 WDAY. Got a couple of uh, listener responses to this Kathy Griffin thing over the uh, over the break. Kyle says, I feel like the coverage of Trump's uh, beheaded picture with Kathy Griffin is very mild compared to what would have been if Obama was president still. Maybe. Uh, emailer says, how sick and disgusting was Kathy Griffin? She should be in jail. I, I actually disagree with that. I don't. I think what she did was was gross. It was obnoxious. Um, it was probably counterproductive to her goal, which was to make people dislike Donald Trump or to undermine Donald Trump. I can't imagine that Kathy Griffin is, you know, rooting for the success of the Trump administration, but it's free speech. 
as gross as it is, as disgusting as it is, as it is it's, it's free speech. She didn't commit a crime. All right. Uh, well, let's move on from that, though. Yesterday, we talked a little bit about the Davis Refinery over uh, near Belfield, North Dakota. It's a proposed uh, project. It would be actually the first greenfield refinery, crude oil refinery, built in the United States in like four decades. Um, it's a big deal. But it's also going to be near Theodore Roosevelt National Park, which is a big deal for our region. It's a very important part uh, of our state's heritage, very important part of our state's uh, tourism industry, obviously something we want to protect. So we had some callers with questions about it, and I wanted to maybe get some answers to those questions. So I have Dan Hedrington on. He is the project manager for the Davis Refinery. He works for uh, Short Elliott Hendricks, which is the uh, contractor in charge of site work. Uh, Dan, welcome to the program. Thanks for your time. No, well, thank you, Rob. So we are hearing some some opposition to this project, uh, and I specifically Valerie Naylor, who is a former head of the Theodore Roosevelt National Park. She's now retired, doing this uh, privately, uh, but she says that that the refinery is going to be quote on the doorstep of the park uh, and within view of, of the park. What are your responses? Because I think a lot of people hear that they don't want an oil refinery, you know, right next to the park. Uh, and they don't want one maybe even within view of the park. So, I mean, it, I, I guess address these concerns. Okay. So so what we did when in the onset of the project, we actually we evaluated a bunch of different sites out there. Um, remember, we need close proximity to uh, pipelines, uh, highway infrastructure. We need to make sure that, that we're close to the rail. We need – there are certain components of, of – uh, or infrastructure pieces out there that we we desperately need on on our project. So we evaluated a bunch of different sites, and when we were going through those evaluations, and then and then once we did pick that site, um, we took into uh, account the visibility from the park and other areas. Um, those those issues have been you know front and on, on the front and center of of all of our discussions, all of our design uh, meetings. We are making sure that um, we're minimizing any kind of visual impacts from the park. Um, and even the, you know when we were you know initially going through this, we were meeting with park officials. We let them know, hey, by the way, we're looking at doing this. We were meeting with county officials. We were meeting with locals out there. Had a lot of different meetings. Um, so when you know the issue when when we were actually we picked our site we we said okay this is the best suited site it's it's the least visible from any location or from these locations we can screen it we can put up uh, earthen berms tree lines things like that that we can do for natural screening we also did line of sight evaluations from the park itself now these locations were brought to our attention um by public people out there, just the general public, but also park officials as well, saying, well, you must be able to see it from the southeast corner of the park, which is about three miles away. Uh, so we did a line of study evaluation. Now, remember, we took all these into account when we did the design. So we set this thing down and we're lowering the, the, um, the refinery as much as we can into the site. We kind of settled it into a lower area. Um, so we did this line of sight evaluation from the southeast corner of the site, and it can't be seen. It's, it's below the horizon line. And then the next site that was brought up was, well, you can see it from the, um, from the visitor center off of 94. And we did the exact same you know, um, uh, exercise, and we found the exact same thing. It's below the, the uh, horizon line. At the, you know, while we were going through that, that process, um, someone brought to our attention, well, okay, then you can see it. You must be able to see it from Buck Hill, which is the highest point in the park. 
So not only did we do a line of study evaluation on that, which we found that it was going to be below the horizon line, um, we actually went out to the to Buck Hill itself. We had a public event. We invited everybody. We invited park, park officials, uh, governing officials, all kinds of, you know, just anybody that would be interested. And we went and visited Buck Hill. Now, down at the site where the site where the where the refinery is going to be located, um, we flew a kite, and we we had surveyors out on site, so they could actually pinpoint the exact highest point of the entire refinery itself. It's called the crude column. It's you would envision a, a, a cylinder. It's about ten feet wide, um, kind of like a smokestack, but it's not a smokestack. Uh, but you you envision the cylinder up in the air, and it's at 150 feet. Well, you couldn't be seen with field glasses or spotting scopes or anything, which we had plenty of up there. Um, so then we raised it another hundred feet just to say, okay, prove to everybody that that kite's out there. By the way, there were officials down at the at the uh, refinery site as well, just making sure that, that everything was happening. And um, so once we raised it up that additional 100 feet higher than what it's going to be, you could see with field glasses there was a speck in the sky. Because remember, this thing's seven miles away, and it's only 10 feet wide. Now, the kite that we flew was bigger. It was, it was 35 feet long and 11 feet wide and bright red against a, 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 a cloudy um, sky. When we did that, you could see this speck, and then we lowered it back down to the actual elevation, and again, you couldn't see it. Um, the the uh, local press that was out there, I know Bismarck Tribune had an had a um, article on it. Um, I think their, their general comments were, um, if seeing is believing, it's clear that it can't be seen or something like that. So we've you know we're we're confident that that we're doing everything possible to minimize any impacts or any visual impact from the park. Another point I wanted to make real quick, Rob, and then I'll, I'll let you jump in. But uh, sure, this is in the opposite direction from the park. If you're at the southeast corner of that park, or if you're at the visitor center, you have to turn around and look away from the park to even look towards the refinery where the refinery will be, um, and it still can't be seen. It's it's below the horizon line. Somebody yesterday called, and by the way, 701-293-9000, if you have any comments or questions, 888-970-9329. Tomorrow, uh, yesterday, somebody uh, asked uh, about smoke or steam or whatever coming up from the facility. Um, I mean, mean, obviously, if if you're flying it at the height of of the smokestack, the actual physical structure may not be able to see. But if it's a really cold day out or whatever, I mean, there's going to be a lot of steam or whatever in the air. Is that visible? I mean, was that part of your evaluation? So what's interesting is that the evaluation that's currently being done by the Department of Health, that's North Dakota Department of Health, is for our air permitting. Now, our air permitting takes into account all the modeling, all the different air flows and the, the wind patterns and the temperatures and just everything that you can imagine for how that, how any type of a, a plume could travel or could be seen or could be um, you know, just impact the local area. And we're designing this facility, and and many, many components are already in the design for this, to minimize water. We don't want water. So what you would see there, by the way, in in the event of a a plume, is a steam plume um, where you come off some of the cooling components. But we're trying to minimize the amount of water that we're using for the facility because it's an arid area. Water's hard to come by. We don't want to, and and actually the water we're drawing from is is from an aquifer that's, that's you know, in the ballpark of 5,000 feet deep. It's called a Dakota Aquifer. It's a, a brackish saltwater aquifer, aquifer. So we have to pull that water up and treat it to be able to use it. So it's going to be costly to use the water that we're, that we're having. So we were, we're trying to minimize as much of that, of, of that water that could be evaporated off of our facility as possible. 
and and all of the plume data that we have is just these, these are minimal little um, you know little puffs of white cloud that you see when the temperatures um, work perfectly. It's not a constant every single day you're going to see some massive um, uh, column of smoke coming off of the facility. It's just not the case. Um, this facility, just to give everybody an idea, um, you're, you're, you made the comment earlier, it's the, it's the most recent one that's been done in decades and decades. Um, the technology is so advanced, this is going to be, um, you know, just the, the leadership or the, the leader in all the refineries that have been built, you know, in the United States. This is going to be groundbreaking. Um, and it's actually going to, we think it's going to change the industry. It's going to impact the entire industry. Well, that's important, I mean, for our industry in North Dakota. And it's also important that, that we not have impacts, obviously, by, by Teddy Roosevelt National Park, which is a right. a jewel and, and, and certainly another natural resource that we have in our state that, that we're very Agreed. lucky to have. Um, what, where are we at in this process? I mean, it's, I, mean I, I know there's a ton of hoops to jump through. There's a reason one of these haven't been built in, in 40 years. It, <laughs> it's, an ardu- it's an arduous process. Where are we at in this? I mean, what's, what's the timeline? You know, arduous is a, is a good word. It's, it's, it's difficult. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big deal. This is highly, highly regulated. So it, it's kind of interesting. Some people think you just take out a, a, a dart and throw it at the board, at the map, and say, that's where we're going to build a refinery. We're going to start work right away. There are, I think, of the major components, we have 30-some permits that we're in the process of, of pursuing and, and actually being very successful in that endeavor. Um, we have – so it, it, where we are in the process. So – the, the big picture is that our site is determined. We, we've gotten full support, unanimous approval from the Planning and Zoning Commissions out in, Bill, or, um, out in Billings County and from the County uh, Board of Commissioners as well. Now, that itself was an arduous endeavor. <laughs> we, we, we had a lot of work to do there because those locals, they value the park as much as anybody. They love that thing, and they know what it brings to that area and that community uh, or those, those communities. And so those, those meetings what would be typical for other types of developments are, you know, usually fairly quick and, you know, a month or two and they're done. Well, you know, this was stretched out, you know, several months just going through asking for additional, they were asking for additional information. We, we, we addressed all of their concerns, including the visibility from the park issue, um, but also traffic concerns, you know, jobs, everything, all the other impacts that this facility brings, including the positive stuff like, you know, the, um, the, the money, the tax revenue that's going to be generating, the jobs, the permanent jobs that it's going to be creating that aren't going to, you know, fluctuate with the price of crude. You know, these are permanent f- jobs. So that part is, is done. We've got our site determined. It's, you know, it's been approved by Billings County. We are now in the process of getting things like um, our, our, our water allocation taken care of. We, we're, we've done applications for allocation, applications for our water allocation. Um, we expect to see that draft permit sometime in the next week or so, two weeks maybe. Um, and then there's going to be another public comment period after that. So, you know, that's ongoing. We're in the process of going through our air permits, and Department of Health is doing a great job with that. They've been great to work with, but they're evaluating this thing thoroughly, and they're doing a great job of it. We've been they've had a lot of interaction back and forth. Um, they're looking for some additional information, and we provide it, and then it kind of goes back and forth a little bit. But all of our other environmental permits are ongoing. So 
um, as far as for like storm water and other things like that, we're working with the county to um, uh, make road improvements so that that um, we don't destroy the the existing road infrastructure out there. So there's a lot of things going on. We're well in the process. The regular the regulatory officials have been excellent to work with in North Dakota, and um, things are moving you know very very good. Well, that sounds uh, that sounds exciting. Um, I'm I'm rooting for you guys. I hope we hope well, we get it completed because I I think it's I think I think it's an important facility. I think it's important for our industry in the state and uh, and our economy and a lot of other things. Uh, Dan, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. Have a great day. This is Dan Hedrington. Uh, the, that's the talking about the Davis Refinery being built by Meridian out in Western North Dakota. We're going to go to a break. We'll wrap up the show right after this. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report here on 970 WDAY. 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. If you want to get on the last few minutes of the show, email talk at WDAY.com. You know, I think tomorrow, Natil, on the show, I want to talk a little bit about this uh, report uh, that's out about, it, it's about the uh, the pipeline protests and how, uh, I, I mean, it's, it's a very sort of accusatory article from this left-wing website called The Intercept, and it's about how law enforcement coordinated with the private pipeline security contractors during the protests. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's thousands of words and hundreds of documents or whatever. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm looking through the whole thing and I'm thinking, well, yeah, I, 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 are people surprised this happened that this was going on? I mean, it was a very tense situation. Of course, law enforcement was coordinating with the security. I would hope they would be doing that. That's the responsible thing to do. I don't, so I want to talk about it a little bit more in depth. I mean, there's a lot of heavy breathing taking place about this, and I don't know. I don't know. It it just it seems silly. I mean, the protesters were throwing bombs. They were throwing bombs. They were throwing Molotov cocktails at the at, at cops. They were setting construction equipment on fire. Right? They were using slingshots to fire lug nuts at the cops. We had a we had a, a, a law enforcement deputy on this program. Talking about what it was like, he was the one running that infamous fire hose. Remember that he had he he had like bolts and rocks and stuff bouncing off off his body armor while he was doing that. They did millions of dollars worth of property damage, right? They blocked a highway and then violently fought the police who moved in to move them off the public highway that they were blocking, right? And 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 now we're outraged that law enforcement used like counterinsurgency tactics against the protesters well they were behaving like an ideologically driven insurgency right they were ignoring the law it was lawlessness in south central north dakota for months i mean they disrupted countless lives right i mean at one point they came up to bismarck and they were blocking streets of bismarck they set fire to a truck They set fire to a truck and then tried to block a railroad, the railroad tracks with it. To what end? I mean, what, what sort of, I mean, it was, it was absolute mayhem. And I don't see anything inappropriate about law enforcement coordinating with these security contractors. And yeah, I mean, they're some big firm and I guess people are calling them mercenaries or whatever. 
they were some pretty hardcore people, no doubt about it. But who was creating that situation down there? I mean, who was who are the people throwing the rocks? Who are the people instigating the conflict with law enforcement? Who are the people breaking the law over and over and over again? It was the protesters. They created that situation. They could have worked with law enforcement. They could have pursued a peaceful sort of demonstration against the pipeline, and they chose not to. Instead, they chose chaos. Instead, they chose conflict. Instead, they chose violence. That's on them. It's not on, it's not on law enforcement. It's on, I mean, it's, it just seems so odd that, that we would blame law And And I, I get it. I mean, now that the protests are over, there's going to be a lot of effort, a lot of time put into sort of whitewashing it and revising that history, but... It is what it is. We'll get more into it tomorrow. Coming up straight ahead, Jay Thomas Show. Stay tuned for that. You can always catch me here 1 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday on 970 WDAY or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. Pay me my money down. Soon as that boy-